0: You're listening to The Q's Podcast, episode 120. Thank you, Q's Podcast Nation, for tuning in to our latest show. Whether you're listening from your office, your home, or your car, we are grateful to you for joining us. As you know, this show is where you can hear credit union industry experts and cross-industry leaders give a wide range of perspectives on trends and topics relevant to you. My name is Lisa Hograff, Senior Editor for Q's, and our Credit Union Management magazine. The pandemic has affected people's financial situations very differently. While a third of consumers report being concerned about their finances, some individuals currently have more cash than they had when the pandemic started, and they're ready to spend it. How can lenders best navigate such a dichotomy? Our guest today will offer insights into both what credit unions can do to make smarter, more efficient decisions now, and also what might be coming next. Harry Singh is a Senior Vice President with Experian, a Q Solutions silver provider. So let's get started. Welcome to the show, Harry.
1: Hey, Lisa. Thanks for for the invitation. Really glad to be here.
0: To help our listeners get to know each guest on the show, we often ask if there's a professional mantra or a quote that our guests live by that they'd be willing to share. Do you have such a mantra or quote, and why is it significant to you?
1: It's a great question, uh, Lisa. So I I do, actually. I use it both professionally and personally to different effects. So um, less is better. Um, So for those of you who may be familiar with Deterrams, uh, you know, he was a sort of German industrialist uh, designer, um, but but the principle essentially uh, resonated with me because what it focuses on is the less design when you're creating a service, a product, whatever it's going to be, the better, um, because essentially you're focusing on the job to be done for the end user. So so less, but better.
0: That's kind of a contrast to the old less is more, right?
1: Uh, absolutely I mean I think um you can over engineer things. I think some of the some of the products and services and, and um uh and some of our greatest achievements in technology have always been with the simplest products. Um, you know, things have evolved. If you think about our first um our first Mac, you know, back in the day and what, what it can do now, our first iPhone, our first iPod and how they've evolved over time. But the initial was always less, you know, start with something simple that Resonates that works that answers a job to be done, and um, you know, starting from there, you can always build and iterate. But you know, really focus on the end user and, and the job to be done.
0: And how do you apply this idea in your work for Experian? Uh,
1: regularly, um, so you know, as a as a business that supports both um, consumers and 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 organizations of varying size, uh, we are always thinking about uh, the the end the end product, the end user. Um, and, and you know, 99% of the time, that's consumers, and we're thinking about their, you know, financial health, um, their fiscal ability to, to obtain credit. Um, how do we protect them? Uh, you know, those are those are key principles of our strategy. So, um, you know, when we think about less is better, all the products that we develop and the services and solutions that we take to market are always really driven from that end user applicability and why it resonates and is important and meaningful to, to consumers or um, the organizations that serve them.
0: Well, that's a wonderful quote and a fantastic application. So today we're going to talk about your new ebook, navigating a new era of credit risk decisioning, and it takes a look at consumer spending behaviors and how lenders are navigating today's complex landscape. What were some of your most interesting consumer findings?
1: Good question, Lisa. I think I mean we found a found a, a range of things um, actually. Um, largely i think you could predicate it around changing consumer behavior Um, and what do i mean by that well you know when we looked at the data we looked at the findings from our report some really really interesting and meaningful insights became apparent Uh, one of which is that there's potentially a an underlying two-lane economy developing um, which potentially was there pre-pandemic but is really being accelerated and exacerated that you know because of the pandemic and the and the and the, the nature of the fiscal and macroeconomic implications of it. When we looked at the, the sort of data points underneath and some of the findings, we found actually one out of three consumers um, that we talked to are still quite concerned about their fiscal health, their finances, um, both today and going forward. Yet conversely at the same time we we, we spoke we saw a lot of individuals who have substantially more cash uh, and savings than they had before the pandemic actually began. Um, And now they're at this point where they're thinking what to do with it, do they spend it Do they continue to save it. Um, We also discovered that consumers are, you know, not reducing their discretionary spend as much as they were six months ago. So that's starting to, you know, materialize now into into the economy. Um, 7% are spending more than they were a year ago. And, you know, really interestingly, high income households, which we define as earning more than about $100,000 a year, um, they're spending the most. Um, so, so as you can see, there's a, there's a range of findings, but it really does support the principle that consumer behavior has changed. And you know, the question is, is it, it going to maintain and sustain as a change in behavior? Um, but underlying that, there's probably different segments of society that are impacted very, very differently by the pandemic.
0: So that's all very interesting. Why does this environment make it more difficult for lenders to be able to offer the right loans and products to the right consumers?
1: Yeah, so it's probably one of the main questions that the industry is trying to, trying to navigate and deal with right now. Um, I think there's a couple of areas that, you know, you'd have to, you know, organizations really do need to understand the needs of their their customers. Uh, and, that, and that has to be a deep understanding you know, leveraging a range of different data assets. Um, and, that, and that can cover any any, any end of the spectrum within society. Um, we've had, you know, we, we talk about a macroeconomic impact of the pandemic. This is one of those that have been you know, legislated. So the great deferral um, or forbearance you know, a lot of organizations and lenders have offered their customers payment holidays. Some of those have deferred payments. So, you know, if you've got a mortgage, you might be able to pay that at the end of your mortgage. A lot of them haven't. A lot of them have said for a period of time you you know you can have a payment holiday, um, but you're still a accru- you know you, you still have an outstanding balance at the end of it. So there's material changes in in society that, that weren't there pre-pandemic. I think when we when we start to look beyond some of those those significant changes and, and trying to understand those changes and what they mean for our for our society, we need to go way beyond our traditional data sources um, and think about utilising. You know, not just traditional data, but alternative data, and, and new types of data that we haven't really, you know, thought of um, of utilizing within this space, such as synthetic data. Um, and you know, we can we can talk about that in a little bit more detail. And now there's a lot more in the way of tools that weren't there, you know, in the last in the last downturn, you know, which was you know, several years ago, about ten years ago. Um, maybe a bit more now. Um, the, the, the use of advanced analytics, the use of machine learning, you know, that just didn't exist in the same way uh, and availability as it does today. So you know the environment is difficult. People have changed their behavior. Some of the historic data that we we would have used or lenders would have used is no longer relevant. You know, yesterday's data is probably the most um, predictive, uh, you know, rather than the last two or three years because the world has materially changed. Um, yet at the same time, I think we have the opportunity to utilize technology Advanced analytics and and you know both traditional and non traditional data in a way that's never been used before.
0: That sounds kind of exciting, although also kind of challenging. What would you say lenders can do to make smarter and more efficient decisions as they navigate this landscape?
1: Yeah, it's a it's a, it's a great question. It's um it's a constant conversation we have Lisa with our with our clients. You know we partner with a lot of clients in this space, and they and they ask that question regularly. Um, I think. You know, if we, if we just reflect on the decision report that we, you know, we, we, we published, I think we'd, we identified probably three areas that, you know, lenders need to think about that helps them to navigate the complexity of the, the current landscape. Um, I think probably the first area I'd, I'd spend a minute or two on, you know, it's how do you leverage data and advanced analytics? I think, I think I touched on it a minute ago. Um, how do you create a comprehensive understanding not just of risk, but also the opportunity uh, within their portfolio and, and, you know, the, the visibility and the transparency into how the behavior of the profile uh, of the consumers in their, um, in their portfolio is changing. You know, those, those are important, those are important areas. What are, what are consumers doing differently? What are they adopting differently, such as, you know, digital channels for, for lending? Um, you know, are they, are they, you um, uh, shopping in different ways, we, we've seen that in our report as well that you know acceleration and, a, and an adoption of online has you know just been uh, exponentially seen across the globe, not just in North America. Um, so leveraging data, the use of advanced analytics, you know, such as machine learning, um, I think is important. And then the second area we we, we sort of identified and we, and we spend a lot of time with clients talking about is how do you now proactively engage your 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 customers, the people that you serve. Um, and how do you tailor and personalize offers, solutions, products to their needs, right? So, and that's not just you know we, we I think historically when we talk about personalization and offers, people always think it's about buying something new or you know obtaining credit to do something. Um, when we talk about personalized solutions and outcomes, and, and outcomes is a really important, uh, it's a really important term for us as a business. We're thinking about the needs of that consumer at a point in time. And it may be, you know, they're getting married and maybe they need to buy a car, but it may be they're in financial difficulty and they need a different type of offer or treatment that helps them through a difficult period, such as the pandemic. But as they come out the back end of it, you know, they become a very they become a very profitable customer for, for the lender. So we're, we're really, you know, en- encouraging our clients to proactively engage their customers. And going back to my first point, leveraging data to truly understand their customer base um, and utilizing analytics to really come up with outcomes and treatments that, that are reflective of their needs. And I think finally, um, and this is something that I think um, people are aware of, but you know I think it's, it's somewhat masked in the current in the current climate. That there is going to be a potential wave of delinquency. Like I say, you know a lot of consumers out there have taken payment holidays right now. Um, but if you if you look at their trajectory and their trended uh, affordability pre pandemic you know, either their affordability has not improved um, or potentially it's got even worse. You know, as they come out of um, payment holidays in some countries around the world, you know, furlough payments where the government is picking up, is picking up salary checks. Once that comes to an end, affordability changes and, and, you know, how people can, you know, service their credit commitments materially changes as well. So payment holidays are coming to an end. I think it's going to become apparent that that two-speed economy is is more visible. and what lenders are really doing, and they're working with us on this, and, and you know we're partnering with them to do, is how do we make it easy for consumers that are really struggling um, to find the right outcome, the right treatment for them? Um, and that's been done, you know, in a very different way that it was, you know, 10, 12 years ago. Digitally now, a lot more of it's online. How do we how do we allow people to self serve and, and and really, you know, uh, understand their fiscal position and and the implications of it? And how do they find the right treatments and information that they need? So. Like I say, the three areas that are really important to us: leveraging data and analytics. How do you proactively engage your customers and consumers? And I think the industry has to prepare for a you know a, a significant um, wave of delinquency.
0: That's very interesting, Harry. At the beginning of the pandemic, Q's did a lot of coverage about how credit unions were working with their members on both ends on making loans, things like mortgages at the drive-through, and also on the payment holiday that you've been talking about and working out loans and making plans so that they could continue to stay solvent. I think it's very interesting that you're saying that now as things come to the end in terms of the supports that were put in place by governments and other organizations to help everybody get through, that credit unions are again going to need to be creative in working with their customers. That's very revealing to me. Um, And you mentioned at the end of your answer to the last question that Digital and being online and self-service will be very important to this moving forward after the pandemic. Your research found that consumers continue to prefer digital banking, too. Do you expect that trend to continue upwards?
1: Yes. I mean, we, we, I think, um, and, and, you know, essentially the simplest answer I'll give you today, Lisa, is yes. Um, if you look at the, you know, any sort of data, any sort of insight or report pre-pandemic, that trend was already there. It's just accelerated. I think there's been a range of things that have, have, have done so. I think, to your point, the pandemic forced you know a lot of people to bank online. Um, and, and I think people have discovered it's actually quite convenient to do so. You know, we, we, we worked with a client, you know, not getting into too much detail, that had all of their operational centres closed, their bank branches closed. Um, and, they, you know, their, their, their customers, their consumers, couldn't access anybody to speak to to actually get a payment holiday. Now that has an implication on their credit file. Has an implication, you know, in a number of ways on, on uh, you know obtaining credit going forward. Um, you know, we worked with them and we we helped them develop. Um, you know, you know we developed for them actually a, a self-service capability that consumers could access and and just ask for uh, a payment holiday or a deferral, make a payment, for example. Um, and and what we've seen as a result of that is that that's just persisted. You know, that and that change in the the portfolio, the dynamic of the portfolio for that particular bank. Um, has just persisted and continues to grow. And what was interesting is when you look at the demographic of the people that we surveyed, uh, a really interesting one for me is we, we we generally hear a lot, and I don't think this is fair, a fair reflection, that um, c- certain members of society, especially older members of society, um, you know, don't like being digital. Actually, 14% of the consumers that we surveyed um, that were between the ages of sort of 60 to 69 all applied for a new card or loan online during that period. And that's particularly different to some of the data points that we've seen in the industry before then. And I think the expectations are such on the rise, you start there and, and then what, what else can I do? What else is convenient for me? Um, and I think more than half, I think it was 55% of our consumers that we we, um, we reviewed, they all have substantially higher expectations of the experience, the digital experience um, that they they would they would expect with any any organization now since the pandemic began. So I think you're starting to see a real fundamental change in society. It was already there. I think it's just been accelerated now.
0: I have to confess, I'm a credit union industry editor and it wasn't until the pandemic that I fully embraced mobile deposit. So I think there's all kinds of people that were on the fence and then got pushed into digital and then said like me with mobile deposit, this is awesome. Why didn't I do this sooner? This is great. So there are some new payment options coming along um, like subscription models and buy now pay later tell me a little bit more about how that fits into this picture
1: yeah happy to I mean you know I think um, I think we're starting to see the adoption I think probably more the adoption of buy now pay later globally Um, you know not just in North America I think we're seeing that being fairly pervasive everywhere we are Um, uh, you know and I think I think that's really looking at uh, a couple of things one is affordability of a consumer you know I might not have uh, the funds today, and therefore, you know, can I can I future date my payment? That requires a very different model around how you assess customers for risk. Um, it requires a very different model about how you continually assess customers for risk uh, and make sure that it's affordable and make sure it's a sustainable payment that they're going to get. Um, I think utilising both traditional and non-traditional data helps you get to a, le- uh, a better and healthier level of propensity around you know how those consumers are going to behave. So I think. I think that model's here to stay. I think it will be regulated, as an opinion that I have personally, um, quite you know, quite quite substantially, depending on what region you're in, um, you know, globally. But I think buy now pay later is here to stay. I think it's, it'll manifest itself. But what's really interesting about it is most of the, the organisations that we work with, you know, they use our data, they use our analytics, then they use our software to make those decisions because they really want to leverage the power of advanced analytics and non-traditional data. I think we look at subscription models, you know, one area that we're, we're seeing a lot of interest in is in vehicle and auto. Um, the world's changing. The, you know, the, the world is evolving. We're seeing electric vehicle um, purchases go up. We're seeing auto leases go up over time. And now the natural transition, you know, depending on if you believe some of the industry leaders or not in this space, will be that as you start to evolve, you know, individuals and households will probably subscribe to cars. You know, if you live in a, you live in a depending on the climate that you live in, you might have quite severe winters and, and quite dry summers. Um, you know, do you need a very different vehicle, for example, in the summer than you do in the winter? Probably. And therefore, subscription models, you know, across industries will be quite interesting for us. That requires constant evaluation of data, constant evaluation of affordability and consumer needs. You know, there's there's a component that says, oh, is that a risky is that a risky loan? But but essentially, the product that you're you're building and creating needs to understand the needs of the consumer. Um, and I think subscription models, you know, really do bring that to life and, you know, the use of advanced analytics, real-time decisioning is important in that space. If we look at some of the data points that support that, I think just under a third of consumers that we, we spoke to, I think it was about 27%, you know, reported that they have purchased products using buy now, pay later. That's, that's huge. That's a material amount. Um, you know, you go to most online retailers, you know, there's always a lot, if, one, if not multiple buy now, pay later programs that you can, you can access. Um, I think businesses need to and will have to adopt this type of a, uh, a payment capability. I think that's, that's becoming apparent. Um, and just having purely a self-serve digital strategy probably isn't enough anymore. It needs to be the experience. Um, you know, do you understand the consumer? Do you understand their needs? Are you, you know, are you lending them money or are you providing an outcome, for example? Those are two very different things. And actually, more and more consumers want to be understood their needs, um, and they, you know, they they expect a fair value exchange of their for their data, for example, for a for an outcome uh, and a service that really helps them with a job to be done or an outcome that they they wish to to achieve.
0: So, a couple of times during the show, we've talked about traditional and non traditional metrics and data to help credit unions with decisions, would you talk a little bit more about what you're thinking about when you refer to the non-traditional data?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, depending on where you are globally and depending on regulation and legislation, we're seeing, um, you know, traditional data sources such as credit bureau, you know, know, that's what we do as an organization, as a business, but, you know, growing growing, um, analytical models are utilizing alternative data such as social media data in certain markets around the world. Um, they're using location data um, for personalized offers. Um, and, you know, as that starts to evolve, um, and especially now with the pandemic, some of the analytical models that that were there before aren't really reflective of the behavior of, of, of society. An example being, you know, how, how do I know the affordability of my portfolio, you know, is today as reflective as it was 12 months ago? It isn't. Everybody's been in a position where, They've either taken a payment holiday or they've paid down their credit. Now, that's good, right? That's, that's fantastic for certain segments of society. At the same time, that two-lane economy that we've been talking about, um, the people who are, you know, fiscally disadvantaged, what, how do you understand their profile, their affordability, how they're going to behave going forward? How do I know how to reserve against that if I'm a, if I'm a lender? You know, what am I, what am I, what's my balance sheet implications of it? Now, this is where you can utilise potentially things like synthetic data, that allow you to generate artificial data, it's machine generated data um, that you can put into your models. And then as your, as your portfolio starts to evolve, the number of models that you're assessing, you start to align those models against the behavior of your portfolio. You start to get to a predictive level of understanding um, of consumers, their behavior, their affordability, you know what they're likely to do, what they're likely to need. Um, and and that really changes the dynamic i think with machine learning the ability to use large data environments and um, and really utilize those models in a real-time manner you know if you think about the convergence of data software and analytics um, data we understand there's various types of data analytics the ability to to make sense of all of that various data but then what do you do with it and that's where you know software decisioning software for example Having that ability to real-time execute those models, test them, understand them, means that you will have a better understanding in a real-time way of your customers and their needs. And therefore, you can build product services, um, outcomes that that really resonate and service the needs of your portfolio, rather than just thinking about it purely from a, a prudential perspective.
0: Excellent perspective. Um, and, and forward thinking. My my next question is about forward thinking, um, but I feel like you're already leading up to that. So you've been doing research and you've been looking at the payments landscape and the credit landscape. What is the next question on the horizon? What's the next thing that you think you'll be researching? And what's your prediction for how the answer might impact credit unions?
1: Yeah, it's a good it's a good question. We could we could we could spend all day on this, Lisa. To be honest, um, yeah. I think you know there's, there's a couple there's a couple of there's a couple of areas there. Um, you know, if I think about uh, you know the the landscape that we certainly that we certainly support our clients and and consumers in, um, you know, we're actively thinking about that buy and pay later piece. But then, what are the transition uh, in in payment behavior? We're seeing crypto on the increase. What does that mean? We're seeing greater adoption of crypto as well uh, as a payment model now you know, legislation and regulation may hinder and, and, and um, slow down the progress of, of, uh, of such payment technology. But we're seeing, you know, countries now recognise it as an as a underlying digital currency. Um, what does that mean? How will people pay? You know, how do you, how do you assess the authentication of that currency? There's, a, there's going to be a whole bunch of um, jobs to be done, questions to be answered. And that has a material impact on, on society because, the, the type of people who currently today, you know, utilize cryptocurrency um, aren't representative of society more generically. Uh, so, you know, how do you understand who those people are, how they're going to behave? I think the subscription piece that we talked about is, is fundamental. I think, you know, we talked a little bit about auto. I think as we evolve and go forward, the need to constantly understand uh, consumers, to have a fair exchange of data, you know, consumers have, have shown and, and have regularly shown that they're happy to exchange data if it's a fair exchange, um, to understand their needs, for example, and then give them personalized offers, I think will become an area of exploration. I think subscription, not just in auto, but in everyday life, you know, um, you know we're already seeing it, we're already seeing, um, you know, do I subscribe to certain services for my house for a period of time? Do I subscribe to where I live? Uh, do I subscribe to different types of energy providers? These are all going to be things that I think, as you go forward, will require real time um, large-scale analytics, advanced analytical capability, um, and real-time decisioning and execution of those models, and understanding of consumer behavior. So, like I say, subscription is absolutely there. Cryptocurrency and payments technology, and how that's going to evolve. Um, and, I, and I do think there's going to be a change in behavior more broadly about lending. I think um, I think I think you know we're going to see different types of organizations enter into you know what would be traditionally classified as, as credit lending. Um, not just banks and, and fintechs, but you, you might start seeing, you know, larger software businesses entering, um, you know, some of the big organizations globally are thinking about how do they, how do they play in this part? They're, how do they play in this space? So there's a, there's a lot of areas we're going to explore, but I think the payments cryptocurrency script subscription um, and the changing in, uh, and the changing behavior of, um, of payments are probably going to be the three areas.
0: That's fascinating. This has been so informative, Harry. Thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Lisa. It's been it's been really informative for me. Uh, hopefully, it's been informative and thought provoking for the listeners, uh, and you know, I've I've um, hopefully intrigued some people to think differently about you know the practices that they've got and uh, and and what they have to think through as they go forward.
0: Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to the Q's podcast, and thanks to Harry for being our guest. I hope you got lots of good ideas you can use you can check out the Experian website at experia If you'd like information about how to become a Q-Solutions provider, please email Carrie Keri at Carrie at qs.org. That's K-A-R-I at qs.org. Find the show notes for this podcast and a full transcript when you visit cumanagement.com slash podcast120. There's lots of other credit union specific content on cumanagement.com as well. I hope you'll check it out. If you're a CUES member, you have access to invaluable membership benefits to further enhance your development, many of which are available virtually. Visit cus.org membership to learn more. Thanks again for listening today. Q's is an international credit union association. Our mission is to educate and develop credit union CEOs, executives, directors, and future leaders. To learn how Q's can help you realize your potential, visit CUES.org today.